Welcome to Driven Radio Show, your home for car talk covering the latest news to the greatest views on the biggest names in performance, sports, and just plain cool driving machines. Your hosts are freelance auto journalist, senior auction analyst for Sports Car Market Magazine, writer and editor of ReadTheDriven.com, Brett Hatfield, plus videographer and host of the YouTube channel Craving Cars, Corey Pratt, and 35-year radio veteran, book publisher, and vehicular village idiot, Mark Catfish Groves. Let's rev up the conversation time for driven radio show hey car fans welcome to driven radio your weekly automotive happy hour i am brett hatfield here with our engineer and co-host mr mark groves Yo. and mr Corey pratt of craving cars on youtube that's me we are coming to you from frigid driven radio headquarters very cold. It's a bit. It's a bit icicle. On I didn't like walking up to your, your driveway because it was this. cold. I hated uh, it. It I'm is ready. cold. Is it over yet? <laughs> no. Next week. Okay. You can find us online at drivenradioshow.com and readthedriven.com. I didn't say Overland Park, Kansas. Did I? How about that? The big OP. There you go. You can still find us online at drivenradioshow.com and readthedriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show. And listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a positive review on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to tell your gearhead friends. If there's something you would like to hear more of or if you have an interesting story and a few are coming in, please tell us. Send your emails to brett at drivenradioshow.com. Bill Gates had to have his little two cents worth. Yeah, tell Gates to shut the hell up. <laughs> shut We're doing the hell a show. up, Bill. What did you do in cars this week? Anything? Uh, no. no. I took the Jeep out in the snow on. Oh, Saturday. I saw it sitting outside. It's yeah. cool. There yeah. it is. It oh, runs. you did drive it over here. Cool. Yeah. I'll have to take a peek at that. Uh, I didn't do anything either. It was too bleeding cold. However, progress is being made on our little sp- driven radio speakeasy. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. the underground. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I finally found the deal on the pool table I've been looking for. <gasps> Somebody's moving, can't take it with them. I might be able to land a really nice one made out of oak and red felt for 150 bucks. Are you kidding? Oh, I am not even kidding. Of course, you're going to have to call some friends because we're going to have to move no, the I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get a bitch. I'm going to get somebody to move it. I'll get somebody to set Perfect. it up Perfect. and to level it and make Perfect. sure everything's groovy. And if the felt is bad... We're going to stick a Harley Davidson felt on that sucker. Oh, nice. Yeah, All well, right. I found a felt that'll cost three times what the table does, but I don't care. Well, you know, <laughs> you've got that room because you're getting it for 150 bucks. Yeah, no kidding. That'll work. Well, and after and that's out and done, done, we'd still be under a yeah. grand. <laughs> and then, I guess, Mark, after that's done, we're just going to go shoot pool over there, I guess. I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. and there might be adult beverages, and there might be also some nice cigars, you know? Just Oh, yeah. And a lot of Harley memorabilia. In fact, the big picture that sits behind you will probably turn up absent. Oh, nice. Pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. And the Harley guitar. Well, sure. And maybe some of the Harley sound deadening material that we've got around here, lest we should ever want to record in that space. Oh, yeah. I can I can think of a show right now. Yeah. It'd be kind of fun. Some, cigars, like guitars. And, yeah, that sort of thing. Cigars yeah. and guitars. Hey, that's actually got a good name. So that's about the closest thing I did to doing anything car-wise other than going down to the warehouse and just kind of piddle-farting around. And, I, you know, I did my usual car porn thing, uh, going through Facebook uh, it would, uh, marketplace be- and combing and combing and watching a, a 55 Plymouth come up at a great price. And go bye-bye. Did you really? Oh, yeah. It, it came up, and I'm like, oh, God. But no, you know. Yeah, you saw earlier when You know, was, after the show tonight, we can all go out and buy Powerball tickets. That sucker is $248 million after taxes. Dude, I've already I bought one on the way here. Wow, after taxes? Like, are, are there... What <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious what problems you couldn't work out for a quarter of a billion dollars. You know what? They say that money mm. cannot buy you happiness. Oh, horse shit. But if I'm miserable Corvettes. with a lot of money, it'd be better than no. So yeah. just think about it. I'm just saying. Money will buy Corvettes and puppies. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, no. So I'll be I miserable and rich. Uh, uh. I can't buy happiness, but I can get in its neighborhood. I was, I was interviewing a guy at the uh, the Portland International uh, Raceway uh, mm-hmm. in Portland. Yes. How, go figure, right? And uh, I was talking to him about he had this S2000, and it was supercharged, doubled the horsepower of the car, and everything else underneath was completely race modified, you know, so brakes, suspension, all that stuff, right? And he goes, well, the cool thing is, is we figured out the problem to solve all of our problems and everybody else's racing problems and issues that they have. And it's money. More money. Yeah, always. Is it? Weird how that works. Yeah. Huh. Go figure. I, I'm here to tell you, <laughs> I discovered this summer you can buy happiness 
and it looks a lot like a 65 Corvette convertible. <laughs> Strangely uh, enough, and, and you're 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 pretty correct there on that. Uh, mine, mine was in a different, slightly different form. Was all the oh two, sure, still I've, a two seater though. I've mentioned this before. I'll say it again. That is my favorite car to drive. It is just a blast to drive. And uh, did you figure out the alternator problem? By the way, yep. What was it? Uh, the alternator. No, Vol- voltage regulator. <gasps> that oh, okay. stupid voltage regulator. It's yeah, always little, the regulator. Yeah, it's always the regulator. Sooner or later, it's the regulator. But mm, there's, at some point, there's also the lots of other things being done. We're putting a new ammeter in it. We're putting uh, new heater cables in it, uh, rebuilding the car. We're doing a lot of fun stuff. I can't wait. Of course, it's coldest. You, yeah. you can't. You're going to put yeah. in a realistic 8-track, too, yeah. just to give it that classic sound? Maybe. No. Damn it. No. I do have one other news. My Porsche is in the garage. It's in the garage. Hallelujah. <gasps> it fit, finally. Had to put all your personal belongings out in the street? <laughs> well, yeah, that's all I did. Well, I not just, mine, just I my just kids. Up, I put all the storage outside and <laughs> then kidding? I put the car inside, you know. I know just how that works. We don't need this anymore. <laughs> I was able to put our garage freezer and refrigerator outside. Uh, just open them up? Yeah, I didn't have to no, plug them. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, just, well, true. Yeah. <laughs> it always looks good So not only can I fit my car in the garage, I saved electricity. <laughs> You are a forward thinker. <laughs> Welcome to ADD Radio. Yeah. <laughs> and I put a sign in the fridge and it takes a soda. Please leave a quarter. Uh-huh. This week in the news, James Bond's stolen ride may have been found. Toyota gives GM a black Whoopsie. eye. And a better version of Lamborghini's Diablo is headed to the auction block. Our special guest this week is Captain Phil Reinhardt, owner of Mechanical Arts Vintage Auto Specialist. Phil's going to be here to discuss uh, being a merchant marine ship captain, volunteering at a car museum when he was still a zygote, <laughs> and barn fine Harley. He's, oh. he's got a couple. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a couple. Got a lot to cover in the news this week, so let's get to it. From Motorious, missing James Bond, Aston Martin, DB5, reportedly found. This thing's been missing forever. Yeah, it's been, it's been, been a while. It's been gone forever. I can't believe they found it. A 1963 Aston Martin DB5 used in the filming of the James Bond movie Goldfinger has reportedly been found. The Aston Martin, chassis number DP-216-1, was the gadget car used in filming Goldfinger. It features pop-out machine guns, tire shredders, smoke screen funnels, Ooh. and the water-slash-oil spreaders. Oh, my God, I want this. Those are the yes. next things I was going to put on my Porsche. Oh, I don't even care about it. It's a DB whatever. I just want it yeah. when someone's tailgate me. I'll fix your butt. Yeah. <laughs> Here they come. <laughs> it was being stored in a secured hangar at the Boca Raton, Florida, airport. Airport. <laughs> <laughs> Let me with you. I'm left with you. Airport, airport, tire center, <laughs> and hair care. And hair care, yeah. <laughs> Sushi palace. When thieves broke in and stole it in June of 1997. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's been It's been, it's gone, been gone for a minute. Where did the dicks put it? Well, the car was believed to have been taken overseas, leading to a worldwide manhunt. Now, investigators believe... They've located it in the Middle East. <laughs> it's in Dubai. Heart Recovery International. The group tracking the car has said someone was able to view the Aston in a private setting hmm. and was able to verify the serial number as a match for the missing car. Where exactly has not been revealed, but Dubai, Dubai. <laughs> Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, and Bahrain are all particular areas of interest. Kuwait? It's estimated the Aston is now worth over $25 million. Oh, my good Lord. I would kind of debate that, but given what the market's done, you know, anything's possible. And maybe if it's in really good condition still somehow, uh, I would be surprised because sometimes, well, I've seen too many, you know, stuff, too many pictures in the media of cars that just sit over there. Because, you know, I've got 42 of these. What am I worried about? Yeah. And they just... Kind of rock. But at $25 million, whatever the cost of the restoration was, it'd be worth it. Yeah. So Especially if the guns worked. All right. Uh, from, <laughs> from Reuters. I told, told you to speed up. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I can turn easily now. There's I'm no- in a hurry. <laughs> uh, Toyota dethrones GM as a U.S. sales leader after nearly a century on top. Dang. I know, right? Unbelievable. This was, this was all pants. over the car stuff today. Uh, Mary, Mary Barra's getting her butt chewed. Japanese automaker Toyota Motor Corp outsold General Motors in the United States in 2021, make, uh, marking the first time that Detroit automaker has not led U.S. auto sales for a full year 
since 1931. Ooh. That's just habit. Yeah, <laughs> I, I bet every, not everybody's heard about the whole uh, subscription thing. Then, well, I do find it kind of interesting. Don't you Toyota bastard in your key fobs? The uh, well, with Toyota, aren't most of the one are all the ones that we buy are built in Kentucky? Anyway, I think they get aren't they? Uh, Honda's in Ohio, here? so I think Kentucky or South Carolina it, or South Carolina's Mercedes, it was something like that. And I was thinking Ohio too, but that might be Nissan. But no, that's Honda. It's so Ohio. it's Toyota owned, but kind of American built they're like, in the same way American, that most American cars are built. They're assembled here. Yes. Yeah. yeah, well, that's the way most American cars are anyway. Isn't like Ford I, does seventy percent of their stuff comes from uh, Mexico, Mexico and, Canada. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But so, Toyota Toy does that. You know, even the ones they build in, in England or sell there, they're built there too, or put together there, I should say. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I don't know if they have a deal with the UAW. That would be the other thing. I don't think Japanese car companies do that. I don't think so. I could be wrong, but I, I, I think that's probably why they're not built in Detroit. Don't do that. And but, none of Detroit's is built in Detroit. But they are supplying a lot of jobs still. Well, they. They outsold GM, but it's yeah. not like they outsold them by tons. Toyota sold okay. 2.332 million vehicles in 2021 compared to 2.218 million uh, for General Motors. So, you know, it's 0.1 and change million. Yeah, it's it's 150,000 or it's 120,000. Oh, yeah. How not much even of these sales much. do you think were affected by the chip shortage, though? Oh, Maybe they, Toyota they just said, had more cars. They said it was that was one of the things. Yeah, okay. GM's U.S. sales were down 13% for 2021, down 43% in just the fourth quarter. And um, I would assert that the other reason is because the Silverado is so ugly, you wouldn't want to park it in front of your house. It, there's a lot going on with the Silverado. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. There, there is. That, uh, that front end is uglier huge, than a tree full of owls. And they need to do Christmas vacation too, <laughs> yeah, and make that the vehicle. Yeah, paint, uh, paint honky lips on the rear fender. There you go. <laughs> for all of 2020, GM's U.S. sales totaled 2.55 million compared to Toyota's 2.11 million. Uh, that was in 2020. Yeah. So, and Ford Motor Company's was 2.04 million, which is a pretty sizable difference between that and Chevy. Well, uh, Toyota keeps cranking out those uh, Camrys, that automotive cockroach. <laughs> well, uh, to your point, uh, the uh, last year was marred by a shortage of semiconductors, forcing yep. automakers to focus on their most profitable models. Trucks. GM said on Tuesday it expects U.S. economic growth will boost U.S. total light-duty vehicle industry sales from around $15 million to two, to, in 2021 to around $16 million in 2022. So they're going to add another million cars next year? I, w- I would... Dang. I would not bet on that. I just can't imagine. From Motor Authority, the original Suzetta V16T prototype is up for sale. So Horatio Pagani wasn't the only former Lamborghini, Lamborghini engineer who went off to start his own supercar company. And actually, he's got a lot of interesting things. He's to not himself. even the shortest you know, Lamborghini he's the brought, engineer. He's the one who brought carbon fiber to Lamborghini because mm. he bought the machine because Lamborghini didn't want to do it. So then he took it and anyways, well, made, now, made his own company. So, doesn't matter. Before him, there was Claudio Zampoli, who was in... Didn't he make an ice machine? Uh, Italian. I'm, I'm Italian ice. something else. Yeah, it's Italian ice. <laughs> <laughs> who in the late uh, 1980s started... He really liked hockey, didn't Cizzetti, he? <laughs> Cizzetta in, uh, in Italy. Uh, the company's sole model was the V16T, which... Uh, a handful were built before Cezzetti was bankrupt in 94. Uh, a few continuation examples were later also built by Zampoli. I don't, I don't think they made the, uh, many of these things. No, they, they could have. I don't, I don't know the number, but you would think you'd hear more no, of them I, I if think they would have made a lot more. A couple dozen or so. Maybe. Oh, was it even that little? I go, was thinking maybe. Go ahead and get through all hundred. these Italian names. There's a bunch of stuff in here. <laughs> I, I'm practically <laughs> drooling waiting for this paragraph. Uh, Come on. Zampoli, Zampoli started uh, Cezzetti with a famous Italian music producer, Giorgio Moroder. I was yes. going to make fun of that because I see the picture where it's the Cezzetta Moroder on the back of the car. Yeah. yeah. I was going to make fun of that. I didn't realize that was actually Giorgio. No, that's there him. There you go. Yeah, his name. Um, boopy boopy music. Well, name, name the piece of music he's best known for. Uh, uh, Chariots of Fire? No. No. Uh, 2001 Space Odyssey? Not that one. Uh, the Chase, which was the official, the official lead-in music for the Kansas City Comet soccer team when they were here. <laughs> okay. You got to be of a certain age from... <laughs> I'm in the moog for love. All right. 
Nail it. Nail it so, down. Come on, Corey. So, so these guys called on the legendary uh, Borcello Gandini, designer of the Mura, the Countach, and Diablo, to pen the lines of the V16T. Interestingly, the V16T's designer was closer to what Gandini was wanted originally uh, yeah. for the Diablo. But, the, but, but the, unfortunately, it was altered because of its... Parent company at the time, Chrysler. Oh, yeah. That's uh, who you want on in your supercar company. Yeah, oh, yeah, God. Yeah. The mid 90s Chrysler's. Oh. Yeah. Lovely, huh? The first V16 uh, prototype was shown uh, to the world in the 1989 oh, Geneva International Motor Show. This this K car comes with so. the knobs already on the floor. You don't have to do it. <laughs> now, you know what? We don't even put them on the floor. We don't even put them in there. K-car. We give you a needle nose pliers. Call it a day. <laughs> I always put a paper clip in mine and bent it so you could just. <laughs> the car was powered by a six-liter V16 mid-engine get transverse. This, get this, yeah, transverse configuration. <laughs> the engine generates a maximum of 540 horsepower, 400 foot-pounds of torque, and made it to a five-speed manual transmission and rear-wheel driven only. Yeah, well, because you couldn't figure out how to get it to the front. Can you imagine that man? 540 horse at that time was a ton. It was because what? What was it? The uh, the, the Jaguar XJ220 or the Bugatti EB110? Yeah, they were all They were the only fours. 500s, weren't they? Well, the or, upper but, but barely. I don't even think they were in the upper. I think like, the Diablo was 493 Yeah, or the so. Diablo wasn't even right, right. So this is this is pretty God. quick. And it's a V16. That's what's insane. I would love to hear that thing winding up right behind, the, right in the back of my head. Cause that, I might uh, have to sneak over to vehicle. RM for a little while. Well, well, oh, Giorgio held up, held on to the prototype throughout the years, uh, but finally is selling it. The car, which is has received uh, mechanically a restoration, his uh, residual checks ran out. Yeah, <laughs> by Canapa Designs in 2018, and is in working order. We'll go under the hammer at the RM Sotheby's auction scheduled for January 27th. Resale yeah, but- estimates about nine hundred thousand to about one point two million. Wow, that's a so, lot that's of jack, bad. Jack. You know what? MotorAuthority.com has pictures of it, and that interior is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. That thing looks like a bloody gash in your mouth. Mm-hmm. It is. It's <laughs> it's called it's called late eighties, early nineties Italian. Somebody had a knife fight in there. <laughs> yeah, basically, that is a crime scene in leather and plastic. It's really horrible. Our special guest this week is Captain Phil Reinhardt, owner of Mechanical Arts Vintage Auto Specialist. Phil's going to be here to discuss being a merchant marine ship captain, volunteering at a car museum when he was just a zygote, and unearthing barn find Harleys. All this and much more is coming up next on Driven Radio. Welcome back to Driven Radio, coming to you from the frozen Arctic wasteland that is Driven Radio World Headquarters in Overland Park, Kansas. Our special guest this week is Phil Reinhardt. You stopped laughing, damn it. I'm sorry. You're distracting me. Morgan Freeman. If you don't want, talking about. If you don't want me to keep telling <laughs> jokes, then you quit laughing. These boys <laughs> in the frozen tundra. All you need is a flock of really bad freckles up the side of your head. (laughs) Sitting on their eggs. Phil has been a car guy since he was a little kid. At 10 years old, he started volunteering at the Owl's Head Transportation Museum in Owl's Head, Maine. At 15, he bought his first car, a 1926 Model T, (laughs) and his collection has been growing ever since. By the time Phil turned 20, he had five years' experience as a deckhand on the Monhegan Boat Line, and earned his 100-ton Master Merchant Mariner Certificate. God, that's a mouthful. I yeah, couldn't even is. write that out when I was 15. 20 years old. Oh, wow. <laughs> Jeebus, Chrysler. I, I could barely drive my own damn car at that age. Oh, I could drive it. It's just yeah. nobody liked how I did. <laughs> no, nobody wanted to ride along. Yeah, <laughs> it weighed about the same, though. <laughs> just get in, sit down, shut up, and hang on. He attended McPherson College, graduating in 2019 with a Bachelor of Science in Auto Restoration Technology. Phil briefly worked for Paul Russell and Company in Essex, Massachusetts, before moving home to Maine and founding his own shop, Mechanical Arts Vintage Auto Specialist. God, Phil, what a resume. No doubt. You're too young to have this much stuff behind you. <laughs> I'm so angry. <laughs> Welcome to Driven Radio, dude. Good to be here. So I've been listening for a while, so it's awesome to be on. Oh, so it's you. Sweet. You're yeah, the one. You're the one. Yeah, we found him. 
All right. Maine, represent. Uh, Going to have to give him a gold star now. We can finally put a pin on the map. <laughs> How the hell does a 10-year-old get a job working at a transportation museum? Well, uh, I wasn't much of a fan of summer camp, and my parents are getting pretty sick of me. And, uh, <laughs> so they put yeah. him out to sea. Well, I haven't touched that one. <laughs> and uh, I don't, the Owlset Transportation Museum is 15 minutes from my house, and they just have an absolutely amazing collection. And as a kid, that's where I always wanted to go. Throughout the summer, they would have, you know, truck and car and airplane shows, you know, every couple of weeks. And even during the winter, I'd always want to go there on a weekend. And uh, my dad knew the director there somewhat and uh, asked him if I could volunteer there. Because normally they kind of didn't want people that young volunteering. But I guess they went around and asked a couple of the old guys, the older volunteers, if any of them would volunteer to just kind of keep an eye on me and make sure I didn't get hurt. The kid's here (laughs) so so much he could be a coat rack. Might as well put him to work. (laughs) And so a couple of them agreed. And, yeah, I pretty much spent every day for like three summers there until I got a job. And then after that, I still volunteered part-time and still still do. So, so what were your responsibilities cool. there? Or were you like a, a greeter at the door? Hi, welcome to the Transportation Museum. Uh, well, most of their <laughs> cars, there, <laughs> uh, there was a lot of sweeping. <laughs> I, I was, was going to mention the broom. Knows how a broom works. And you learned how to polish brass real quick. <laughs> most everything there, you know, most the majority of their collection is pre World War One or of that time frame. So there's a lot of brass. Okay. Wow. wow. So how do you wind up buying a 1926 Ford Model T at 15? I really want to understand this because at 15, uh, all of my cars had fats on the back and Craigers. Every car I dreamed of buying. Who's to say his Model T didn't would have never looked like a Model T. So At 15, I am I so drove curious. Seventy-eight El Camino with a broken frame. Yeah, but it looked. <laughs> Did you have crackers? No. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. So never mind you. I had so El Camino tell, rallies. <laughs> I, I <laughs> want to hear about this twenty-six. Yeah, let's, let's, what let's, drew you to this? Uh, well, I call him my uncle, but uh, I, he's my great grandfather's fourth cousin, which doesn't make him too much, but. <laughs> He was always introduced to me as a kid as, like, my uncle. He started um, off with, I call him my uncle, and I'm just thinking, oh, God. Oh, just... this is not going to end well. <laughs> I'm going to be editing a lot. <laughs> uh, uncle Touchy paid my way through college. <laughs> so so you've got this fourth cousin, once, twice removed uncle. Yeah, yeah. A, a, a true uh, main relation, if there ever was one. Uh, but he had has barns full of Model Ts. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Hmm. And he's he's in his 80s now, um, and he only drives one of them. The rest of them are all packed away in, you know, parts like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, ever since I was little, he always had wanted me to have this one Model T, which was a two-door sedan that he drove in high school in the Aww. 50s, back when it was just an old car. Okay. So, 50 to 54, he drove this car when he was in high school. And my parents always said, no, you aren't giving him that car. <laughs> and, <laughs> Finally, when I turned 15, they let him uh, give me the car, not thinking too much would become of it. Um, but I got pretty well connected with the local Model T club here, which is very active, and they were just really excited to see a younger person with a Model T. And uh, they would come over and help me work on it, and you know, I just learned a ton. So within the first year of owning it, I had it on the road, and it I mean, it had been in that same barn since 54, so it took quite wow. a bit to get it going. But. So this was completely original. You didn't, like, soup it up? You didn't drop a, a six-banger in it, nothing, anything like that? Uh, Mark is it. just aching for you to say Kragers. Kragers. <laughs> Kragers. Uh, I have not owned a single vehicle of Kragers yet. Oh, my yet. God. What is uh, I'm out. No. I'm going I'm to go over to this other room yeah, and just must- cry. <laughs> I own more vehicles with wood wheels than I do steel. <laughs> oh my God, that's that's uh, it's awfully cool. It there just is. So, getting that involved with uh, the Model T Club, how did you wind up on their board of directors? Well, just after uh, being on there for, I mean, being part of the club for a while, and uh, they're well aware of their demographics, and they wanted, I guess, someone with a little fresher blood. Uh, <laughs> Giving input and or ideas. any blood. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> but I wasn't. <laughs> Bob cut himself and dust came out. <laughs> I mean, as far I mean, uh, being a part of a car club, I know it's not like 
how a lot of kids go about it these days, but you know, there's still plenty of them out there and that is just yeah. such a good way to get connected and, you know, meet people and learn about the car and find parts. Club so meetings look like God's waiting room. room. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, uh, you're not Blast. wrong. There were so many that I've, I've talked to and that's where I've learned stuff about vehicles oh, that, yeah. that I've almost bought or bought and uh, really helpful. Oh, that, that 70 Corvette uh, coupe that I inherited that came to me disassembled. You wouldn't believe how many Corvette Club <laughs> things I chased down just trying to figure out what Help am I me. assembling. Help me. It's painted. I just don't know where it goes. What, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah, so absolutely was, was really appreciate cool. that. Uh, I drove into his 60th class reunion in it in the car he drove in high school. Oh, oh cool. Dude. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. That's golden. And then he... Uh, <laughs> he dragged this lady out from the crowd and said, do you remember parking in this car? <laughs> <laughs> we found your panties last week. <laughs> well, that was, a little, that was a little awkward, but it, 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 <laughs> putting the rumble in the rumble seat. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> That's all right. So tell us about being a merchant Marine and for the uninitiated, can you explain what a merchant Marine is? Uh, just someone who gets paid to be on a boat. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but don't you get to be armed? Because like, don't most uh, a merchant ships, mariner. Don't most ships they don't allow really armed people on them. You know, when you're uh, driving around Namibia and etc. on the ocean, everybody has to have arms. How do you think you handle the ropes? Oh, shut up! <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to ask a stupid but smart question here. Just shut up. So, okay, what is it? What is a merchant marine? Yeah, I basically mean someone who gets paid to be on a boat, someone who's certified. Um, so I, in the grand scheme of things, my license is very small. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they give you your licenses based on the tonnage of the vessel you intend to, you know, captain, you intend to work oh, on. Oh, okay. At such an huh? early age. How did you get started so early? So it was my first legit job, you know, after I kind of got done mowing lawns. My first legit job with a real paycheck was the Monhegan boat line. I started there uh, when I was 15. And um, basically we supply an island about 10 miles off the coast. It's got a four, about 40 people that live there year round. Um, and that swells up to probably about 500, 600 people in the summer because there's a lot of summer homes, vacation homes out there. And just a lot of tourists. Oh, that's a huge difference. I guess it's living still, in Kansas, I never really considered the idea of an island ten miles offshore. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, it's beautiful. Some of the tallest cliffs on the East Coast. You know, a lot of artists out there. Um, really cool place. Damn few. And cars. we're the only year-round ferry <laughs> service that goes out there. We carry the mail, all supplies, and everything. How um, how frequently do you are you out there daily, or is it a couple times a week? So in the winter, they run three days a week. Okay. And in the summer, it's three times a day. Wow. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that ferrying people back and forth and taking supplies? Yeah. And all a right. lot of the morning run is all supplies, and then we have, you know, two more runs, so day trippers can go out and back in a day. Toilet paper, burgers, and then beer. Those are the yep. three trips. Okay. <laughs> a lot of that. Probably more beer than anything else. I think so. <laughs> yeah, so I just started out as a deckhand, you know, handling ropes and lugging bags. <laughs> and, <laughs> there you go. And you captain uh, a historically significant vessel. Uh, tell us a little bit about that and uh, what makes it so special. Oh, well, um, so the boat is the Laura B., uh, originally known as T-57. Uh, and T stands for tender, meaning uh, she's a tender to larger vessels. Mm-hmm. And during World War II, they built about 150 wooden T-boats. And they built about 500 steel T-boats, very similar design, but, you know, steel construction. Um, and so they would use them for pretty much anything, a general purpose boat, transferring supplies and troops from bigger boats, bring them into the harbor. Um, but the wooden ones, especially, they would use as minesweepers because they had very little ferrous metal in them because they would outfit them with magnesium engine blocks. Oh, in the wooden because the sea mines at that time were activated by the magnetic field of the boat. Okay, and so the Laura B was used as a minesweeper and a transport in the Philippines and the Solomons during World War II. I'm thinking of minesweeping and I just suck an air over my teeth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, no, no. How how big is this thing? So it's 65 foot uh, long, 16 feet wide, uh, draws about eight feet of water. 
that's that's wow. a that's a big boat. Yeah, that's well, a good yeah, size boat. Well, the biggest boat in our harbor, but in the grand scheme of things, well, for being <laughs> a for being a wooden boat, that's a sizable boat. Yep, and out of all the wooden tea boats built during World War II, she's one of two left. Oh, oh wow, wow! wow. Because and, you know, a wood boat just requires a lot of upkeep and maintenance. You really have to keep on top of it, and you know, a lot of people didn't when they were sold surplus. They were just something that was disposable. Frequent visits right. from the Orkin man, and they probably got them cheap enough. Back what is too. the uh, yeah? What is the biggest thing that you have to watch for on a wooden boat? I mean, what's the biggest care issue? Water. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Definitely that. <laughs> Okay. Um, What's the other one? <laughs> just uh, rot um, and your fasteners. So all the nails, screws, and bolts that hold that all together, they'll disintegrate long before the wood does. So she's been refastened about three times in her life. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I'm okay, ass- that makes sense. I'm assuming that involves being in dry dock and... Yes. Going through everything. And a lot of wood glue. That's an undertaking. Yeah, bring your <laughs> Elmers. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> when, I, bring- when I first started on the boat, if you were in the pilot house looking out at the bow in rough weather, between the pilot house and the bow, you could, you could see the boat flexing. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh. It wouldn't have been the only thing flexing oh, right at that no. moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I think that would have been watertight. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll be Good kind point. of a, a very the, automated the first winter there we refastened her which stiffened her up a lot um and then my third winter there we completely redecked the boat new deck beams rebuilt the superstructure and the boat's in the best shape it's been since it was new now i mean it's wow. rock solid. i cool. i can imagine it would be watching that kind of flex the only sound you'd hear outside of the boat would be so does it still have the original uh engine yeah uh so originally it had a hercules gas job a big six-cylinder gas engine and then it had a series of detroit two strokes in it and uh in 1986 they put in a volvo straight six diesel and they just started to take it out yesterday after 64,000 hours so not to be a smart aleck but if it's been redecked and refastened and repowered is it the same boat this sounds a little bit like george washington's uh hatchet that he chopped down the tree it's got had three new handles and two new heads but it's the same but it's the one it's the same hatchet yeah with a lot of wooden boats you see you know situations like this but about 80 percent of the hull planking is original and the hull framing is original nice wow so you're gonna put a hellcat in it now (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> well, one car we're talking about had a six liter v16 in it so you should grab yeah. one of them uh, we'll get you your vodka and jugs of insure as god is my witness and we'll do it fast <laughs> it's and so we're, pu- we're putting a new 15 liter cummins in it that uh, they just started that mm. today actually rolling wow. 15 liter wow uh, yeah i guess that, it is a 16 that should last a good long time so it's clear you wanted to work with cars from an early age. How did you find the restoration the restoration program at McPherson? So uh, I just figured cars would kind of be a hobby for my life. And I was just planning on sticking around here and, and doing the boat because that was going well. But um, my parents were really encouraging me to look at colleges. And I just started searching car-related colleges online and found McPherson College. Uh, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go all the way to Kansas. Uh, Nobody is. It's a little different than Maine. Yeah. <laughs> Just kiss. Sure is. Coach. Um, Tough to find uh, those ocean-going yeah. ship jobs. Yeah, yeah. A little hard. Yeah, work's pretty, you know, not much work out there for captain. <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, He calls himself up. Captain Phil. We don't even know why. <laughs> kids from Maine. Uh, but it looked really interesting online. You know, I saw some YouTube videos. I saw the um, Wayne Carini you know, chasing classic cars like a lot of kids did. And I was like, wow, this looks awesome. And I considered McPherson and I considered also the Penn Tech program in Williamsport, um, Pennsylvania. And uh, so me and my dad arranged a visit and we flew out to Kansas and, you know, got to Wichita and got on 135 and started heading north to McPherson. The second we got out of the city, we're like, what are we doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I'd never seen anything like it. Um but um, we got to the school and I, you know, I was just blown away. 
it, it was awesome. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I think I could be in Kansas for this. It is an interesting little Yay, pocket on the map for a reason. Of, uh, of really cool stuff. And if you didn't know it was there, completely unsuspecting. That's, that's the yeah. other thing, too. Um, when you moved there, did you have a little culture shock of, <laughs> wow, uh, what am I going to do with my free time? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it definitely uh, was an adjustment, that's for sure, but it still has that kind of small town atmosphere that I'm oh, used yeah. to here in Maine. Yeah. And, you know, the people couldn't be nicer. Yeah. Um, the work and the scenery is different, but at the core, it's still like a really nice small town community, which I liked a lot. Well, you could always go over to the sheds and get in trouble. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Plenty of that. Okay. Plenty what are the that. sheds? Uh, what are the sheds? Uh-oh. The sheds Uh-oh. are a bunch of rental sheds that are right across the street from Templeton Hall, where the restoration program is. Uh-huh. And it's wide open inside, and it's all the auto rats. Well, nobody calls them auto rats anymore. They did when I was there. Uh, all the auto rats working on all their projects. And some of the projects that come out of the sheds are way worse than anything you drew in high school study hall. And I'm trying to remember, who had the V8 Corvair over there a couple of years ago? Oh, Nate McLaughlin had a V8 Yeah, yeah, Corvair. yeah, yeah, yeah. And that thing just looked hairy as it could be. And, <laughs> and, and God bless Nate. But just the stuff that comes out of the sheds is always the coolest stuff. Um, yeah, so no, that's where I spent when I wasn't working or in class, I was at the sheds, you know, yeah. you go over there at three in the morning and people are working on stuff. Oh yeah. Lights are oh, on wow. and people are doing stuff and somebody's got a radio going. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So absolutely. What was your favorite part about being in the program aside from that? Oh, it was, I mean, the facility is amazing. And, you know, with open shop, you just can go in and use that facility. So yeah. as a student, you have the capability to get a lot of stuff done that you don't really anywhere else. Um, Cause you just have that whole, you know, all the equipment and the expertise at your disposal. Um, so that was just amazing. And of course the trips, uh, I got to go on the copper state 1000 my junior yeah. year. And uh, that, that was like one of the best experiences of my life, you know, just four days, thousand miles, you know, multi-million dollar European sports cars blasting across Arizona. It was, it was awesome. After school, you landed one of the jobs that everybody in the program tries to nail down. You wound up working for Paul Russell and Company outside Boston. Uh, what did you do while you were there? Uh, so I guess the official title was Mechanical Restoration Technician. Uh, I'd done two internships there while I was in college, and then when graduation got close, they offered me a job. And So I figured it's only like three and a half hours from Maine, so I figured that'll be you know, it's one of the best shops in the country. And so I said, I got to at least give it a shot. And uh, it was absolutely amazing. So, you know, started out doing a lot of tune-up work, troubleshooting diagnosis, but then moved on to a few bigger projects. I had an engine out of a 275 uh, Ferrari 4Cam um, and kind of resealed that. That was a lot of fun. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, cars that you never get to, see and much less touch in most places. Um, and I would, I would not be anywhere near as capable as I am if I didn't work there. Um, yeah. And Russell is one of those shops where you get to see stuff you don't see anywhere else. Uh, it is amazing to a level of detail and just, you know, perfection that not many people do. Um, so you really get to see how it's done, right. (laughs) break a lot of bad habits (laughs) and with working there and the stuff you get to see and the things you get to do and the way they uh the way they work what possessed you to leave there and strike out on your own well uh, i guess the biggest thing was just expenses um if anything i wish i did stay there a little longer just to learn more um but massachusetts is not cheap (laughs) and i uh so to put it into perspective the little house I rented with my roommate, uh, you know, I rented it. The rent for that place is the same as my three thousand is the mortgage for my three thousand square foot <laughs> shop that I live in in yeah. Maine. <laughs> and so when the opportunity came to buy this place, and I realized, you know, I could start my own business, be my own boss, and live in my hometown, it, it didn't take too much thinking. Yeah. You know, 
if anything, I wish I'd stayed a little longer, like I said, just to learn more and really absorb, but uh, the timing was right. Had I and known so, you were there, I would have paid you to harass Chris Hammond. <laughs> I, I really liked working with Chris Hammond. He's an awesome guy. He is. Uh, I'll have to tell you a little bit about him afterward. Uh, <laughs> mark that if you would, Mark. Sure. Tell us about you. Tell us about your shop, what kind of work you do, uh, any specialty you have, and is there anything you won't work on? Oh, well, pretty much, uh, I like to say I don't work on anything with computers, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I'm bending the rules right now. I got a 78 Super Beetle in the shop right now, and that's got a very primitive uh, computer in it, so I guess that's not a strict rule, but uh, the name, you know, it... Uh, Basically, it's right in the name, mechanical arts. So I do anything mechanical. Uh, I will do, say, larger projects if they income, if they do have body work, but I sub that out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if someone comes to me and they just want their car repainted, there's no point for me to be a middleman. I just send them to the guy. I have to paint my stuff. Uh, I guess if I had to say uh, a specialty is wiring. I really uh, oh. like wiring. And there's plenty of guys out there wiring their own cars. That's given me a lot of job security. <laughs> so that's probably one of the biggest issues I encounter is just wiring on the verge of burning the car down. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. I, I, I got a 99 Mercedes S600. I'll send your way. <laughs> oh, many way too much computer for that one. Uh, one of the things that you and I have in common is uh, is Harley Davidsons. We both love Harleys, and you've got a couple of them. But you found one in a barn not long ago that's really a special bike. Will you tell us about that a little? Yeah. So it's a 1934 uh, Harley VFD, uh, which is part of the V series of uh, full size flathead twins. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people uh, who know Harleys know VLs. The VF was uh, simply just a commercial model, um, and so I guess their thinking was low-speed, you know, utilitarian use. And so they fitted the engine with iron pistons because the iron will expand at the same rate as the iron cylinders, so they won't seize up when they get hot, whereas an aluminum piston expands faster than the cast iron cylinder and will seize. And so they made 1,300 uh, VFDs in 1934, sorry, 1,300 VFDSs, which were sidecar bikes, because most commercial model bikes would utilize, you know, a sidecar. Yeah. But they also made five VFD solos, um, which there wasn't really a market for a solo commercial bike, but they made five of them. And I'm pretty certain that this is one of them. Oh, wow. Um, so it was bought new um, by a man in Belfast, which is a town about an hour north of me. Mm-hmm. And in 1944, he sold it to a guy on Islesboro, which is an island off the coast, to a guy named Lamont Rollerson. Now, during the war, Lamont had been riding his older brother's knucklehead, tearing up the whole island while his older brother was away fighting World War II. And when his brother came home, he said, no more of this. You got to get your own bike. And so he went out and found this VFD and him and his wife rode it all over the state. Um, they were big in the American Motorcycle Association. They had like uh, AMA badges hand painted on the fenders. Um, and I have pictures of them, you know, in different parts of the state with them on the bike. And he rode that um, pretty much until he died. He had that in a 58 panhead and those were his two bikes that he rode all the time. And uh, I think he passed away around 2015 or 2016 and the family held on to it till this summer. And they reached out to a friend of mine who owns a motorcycle shop here in the area. And he called me and said, Hey, um, this is right up your alley. And so uh, I made it work. <laughs> so, cause an opportunity like that doesn't come up no. um, pretty often. Are Unfortunately, you- they didn't differentiate the serial numbers between sidecars and solo bikes. And so there's no way to prove concretely that it was a VFD solo. But, you know, I bought it from, you know, the second owner's family and it never had a sidecar during his ownership of the bike. And the person he bought it from, you know, who bought it new said it never had a sidecar. So it's wow. pretty good chance that it was a vfd solo but you know there's no way to prove it concretely do you know where any other solos are or do do you know if any if any of them still exist 
uh, I do not know. And, you know, there's not much of a way to prove it. There's plenty of VFD Harleys out there mm-hmm. uh, from 1934 that are now a solo bike. But, you know, they took the sidecar off, but there's uh, not really any way to tell if that's how it came originally. Sure. Um, but it's a, I mean, it's a beautiful, smooth running bike. Uh, I put about 400 miles on it this summer. Oh, cool. Um, it's smoother and more comfortable than my shovel head. <laughs> it doesn't beat me up as much. Um, a, sh- a shovel's a tough bike. Yeah, <laughs> a hardtail one, too. Um, but, no, uh, this uh, October, me and three of my friends who all have old bikes, we went on a big ride. It poured, but, I mean, we were still smiling because it's so hard to get that many people together to go for a ride. It rarely happens when we're all that busy. So even though it was going to rain, we just said, screw it, and we went. And I was on my 34. My buddy Ron was on his 48 panhead. Uh, my other buddy Travis was on his 58 panhead. And then my buddy Warren on his 75 shovel. And uh, we rode about 250 miles that day. And it was just, it was awesome. And the bike did flawlessly. That was my first real big ride on the bike. Uh, aside from running it out of gas, uh, it was trouble free. <laughs> <laughs> well, very cool that you got it running and you're using it as it's intended. And there is a certain sense of accomplishment making it back home after you've been poured on and you're pouring the water out of your boots and out of your pockets and everything else. And uh, I've I've done that a couple times, too. I had a ride a few years ago where it rained so hard I couldn't see the taillight on the bike in front of me. <laughs> so I, I've been in a couple of those. And I'd left the house uh, that morning. It was sunny out and 80 degrees, and I thought everything was fine. And I didn't put... I didn't uh, have my saddlebags with me. So when it started to dump, all I had was a couple bandanas. And I put one over my head and I put one over my face. And we got about two miles away from the gas station. We'd stopped in and it just, the sky opened up and and it just dumped. And about three minutes into that, I realized I'm waterboarding myself. (laughs) (laughs) So very cool. Well, you, uh, you listen to the show, so you know what you're down to in the last question. Uh, what's the dumbest thing you've ever done in a car? Uh, okay. So, uh, two words, geo Metro. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty dumb. Oh, that's, uh, pretty dumb. No. You could stop there if you wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my, uh, my best friend in grade school and high school, his uncle owned a garage. Um, and you know, as a Rust Belt state vehicles, especially vehicles like Geo Metro's don't last too long. Yeah. Uh, they disintegrate pretty quickly. And so a little less structural gotten, than a Bud Light can. <laughs> just a tad. And so he had gotten two Geo Metro's that the owners had just, you know, they were so far gone and rusted that, you know, the owners pretty much gave him the car for scrap, but they still ran. <laughs> So the first one was a red Geo Metro three cylinder with a five speed. And um, his uncle who owned the garage who gave us the car was also kind of a rally car guy. He got a pretty specked out and fully caged Jetta that he would, you know, rally race. And so we welded up. He helped us make skid plates. We welded skid plates all into this Geo. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we beat the ever living crap out of that thing. Um, we would take it basically there's all sorts of old logging roads around here so we yeah. take this thing out in the woods you know we rolled it multiple times um, <laughs> rolled it you know it's a geo metro so you just roll it back roll over, back over yeah. Yeah. it weighs 14 uh, pounds just tip it back over yeah it's all good and by the end of it both the rear control arms broken and so the rear wheels are just going wherever they want we we're running it off an outboard motor gas tank behind the front seat oh god um and it finally it blew a head gasket so then we started on the second one was a suzuki swift which is the same thing yeah but this was a four-cylinder and it would actually do a burnout oh there you go loose gravel but it burned out yeah (laughs) on a rainy day but it was about as rusty as the first one and uh we bombed all around town in that none of us you know we were like 13 14 we didn't have licenses oh good luck Uh, so we had our, you know, I live in St. George, so we had our quote unquote St. George licenses. <laughs> yeah, the, just, key. the key. Yeah, yeah. To be a resident, yeah. that's it. And we would drive from, you know, logging road to logging road, just taking it out in the woods. My buddy, basically his whole family lived around this one big field that they owned. 
with all their houses. And so his uncle would take the plow truck out there and plow uh, track in the winter. And we would, and we would ice race the Geo Metros. And he would get out there with his VW Jetta, which had a you know push bar on it. And we'd be, I mean, we'd run laps all day. And for like a 13, 14 year old, that was the funnest thing ever. Yeah. Oh, man, that'd be fun now. Dude, for a 58 year old, it would be fun. <laughs> Dad, I hope you're not listening to this, but isn't it amazing how if you go out and try to get a car out of shape a lot, that after a while, if you're driving like a normal human being and things start to go wrong, you know exactly how to handle it. Yeah, I couldn't you know agree how to more. turn it, turn it into the skid and give her a little gas and kind of hang it out for a minute and then straighten it up. You you know how to handle it while everybody else in the car is going nuts. Yeah, that's how the finish his, it. his uncle would pit maneuver us and spin us out and run us <laughs> in the snow. Nice. So, nice. He had, nice. you know, he had a you know limited slip differential in this Jetta and studded tires. So he'd just be running circles around us. But <laughs> oh, it was fun, and uh, we you know we ended up rolling that one a bunch. And you know after the engine gave out in that car, uh, that was it for the whole Geo Metro craze. But that was probably. Uh, the stupidest but probably the funnest thing i've done it, it sounds like a blast hell i want to go do it now so what yeah. drives better a geo metro or a 26 model t <laughs> I, I don't know i'm uh, guessing he never question. rolled that t <laughs> if i rolled the t probably wouldn't be here <laughs> no, probably, probably not we've been speaking with captain phil reinhardt owner of mechanical arts vintage auto specialist you can find all the social media links for the captain on readthedriven.com Phil, thanks for being with us, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for spending time with Driven Radio. We love what we do, and we wouldn't be able to do it without the support of our listeners. You can find us online at DrivenRadioShow.com and ReadTheDriven.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Driven Radio Show, and listen everywhere fine podcasts are heard. I am Brett Hatfield for Corey Pratt yep. and Mr. Mark Groves. Uh-huh. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time here on Driven Radio. 